As Andrew said before, the next three weeks are dedicated to just a short series on psalms, and the preachers were given the brief, preach on your favourite psalm. And what can I say? I think all the psalms I like. Uh, But Psalm 51 absolutely stands out to me as my favourite. Of course, there's Psalm 1, uh, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who does, who does not. Uh, Psalm 2, Um, Why do the nations rage and the kings and their rulers plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed one? Fantastic. Um, But so often I've found myself in a circumstance where what happens if I don't do Psalm 1? What happens when I don't do Psalm 2? And so on and so on and so on. And that's why Psalm 51 is so important to me. Because it's a song and prayer of King David, so deep into the Psalms, right? So we're about a third of the way in when he has so awfully not done Psalm 1. When he has so tragically failed to understand Psalm 2 and Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 and so on. And when I read Psalm 51, I think, that's me. (laughs) That's me. And so Psalm 51 has so deeply resonated with me and so deeply helped me, especially because in David's knowledge of God, which is expressed in Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 49, David's knowledge of God means that instead of turning away from God in this moment of his deep, depraved sinfulness, he turns to him because he knows his need for mercy. He knows that the Lord is the God of mercy And he knows that the future of mercy actually involves him, David, in praising God for his kindness and his grace and his compassion. And so this God, through this circumstance of David, shows his mercy and compassion to David. And just like David, I have experienced that as well. And that's why I love Psalm 51 and I wanted to preach it this morning because it absolutely helps us understand how good God has been to us ultimately in providing his mercy and compassion to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you join me now and let's pray that we'd not only understand these things, that we'd love these things, but we'd also take that next step in praising God for these things. Please join me and let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that you brought us together now because of your mercy and compassion. We're here, Father, not because we've done things right, but more often than not, we haven't and we've displeased you. But you are the God who says, no, no, come as you are, receive my mercy and don't stay as you are, but be transformed by my grace in your Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please help us to understand your mercy and compassion now to be transformed by it and to join in praising you for it so that you'd be glorified and people would know you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So David is no great hero in getting to be able to write this song that we know as Psalm 51. So look at the superscript in your Bibles, whether they're electronic or paper, you should have the same thing as I've got. So what I mean is you should have the title Psalm 51 and then there are some words um, in a slightly different font under that. For the director of music, that's pretty normal. A Psalm of David. Uh, we, we hear that plenty of other times as well. 
when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So even that superscript shows just how much David is not a hero in this situation, right? (laughs) Because the conviction of his own sin had to occur as God came to him through the prophet (laughs) to convict him of what he had done. (laughs) So even in just that little introduction, we've got evidence of the fact that this is a really super low moment for David. That coming of the prophet Nathan to David is recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I wanted to read that together just to put us back in the frame. But as I'm flicking there, and you might be as well, can, can anyone tell me, um, just by way of helping with the context, what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 7? And we looked at this recently in the Covenant series. I preached it, so you're going to help me feel better about myself if you've actually remembered what that's about. 2 Samuel 7. Say it again. Yeah, so God, again through Nathan, says to David, this is a real high point, mate. Not only you've got to this, this moment, you want to build a house for me. It's not going to fall to you to build a house for me, a temple for me. It's going to be to, to your son, who's going to be the great one to build a temple for my name. And it's just so massive in salvation history, that moment in 2 Samuel chapter 7, right? And it really could not get any better or any higher for David. That's the context. Let's have a read, 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Incredible. An amazing moment, especially in the context. 
just staggering. But it's so helpful to us, as we'll see in Psalm 51, and the way the Lord wanted to use even this low moment. David's convicted, but his initial response is one of anger when he's just dealing with the story. But then when he realises it's him, it's a moment of deep remorse and regret. He repents. It's amazing he is forgiven. That's how God's mercy works when, when repentance is genuine. And we'll talk more about this in a moment. And so we have David's response in Psalm 51. That's what gets David to singing this song, to writing this song, to wanting to record this song so that that album would keep playing and playing and playing and playing and we would actually benefit from its ministry. So there's the context. And so my first point here is the need for mercy. Okay, And we're thinking here about verses 1 to 6. So Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We are reading David's words in, in the after moment, but there was a before, wasn't there? And I think the rereading of that account between Nathan and David gives a bit of a sense of the before, that is, when David's forgettery is working, anything goes. When David's forgettery is working, everything is okay. When life is centred on him, whatever he does is good. And he could be forgiven for almost kind of claiming the divine right of kings where people in extreme authority are, are self-referential, right? Do you, do you remember kind of the, I think I recounted it in a sermon not, not long ago, when I discovered that um, for the, the Queen of England, it was her story, she was the one actually who issued the passport. So she never had a passport. Um, the Queen of England actually issued driver's licenses, so she never had a driver's license, right? And um, you, you, can, you can read the history of, of king, great kings and queens where they felt that their power is extreme, so they can, they can just do anything with anyone. And, and David is, has lost sight of how he got to the point that he got to. So for him at this moment, or the, in the before moment, power serves him. So it can be abused, and that's exactly what he's done. Because he asked his general to make sure that Uriah could be placed into the front line of the battle, then the forces withdraw so Uriah could be guaranteed dead. People serve him. They're just there to be abused, effectively, in his before thinking. Sex serves him, and another man's wife serves him. He's allowed, or he's allowing himself, to do whatever he likes. Life is centred on him, and it just serves him in this before moment. But the Psalm 51 is the after moment when God through Nathan jogs his memory and reminds him, no, mate, life is actually centred on God and everyone else actually rotates around him. And this is where David is aware of his sin, the grotesque nature of what he's done. And he, he uses specific language to describe it. Transgressions. Where, where there is a law and it, it has been broken. And he says it needs to be blotted out. He uses the word iniquity, which is, is expressing a deep immoral behaviour where what is right has not been done. It's been the opposite. And David says this needs to be washed away. But then the use of the word sin itself really narrows this whole thing down. And let me read you the definition of sin. It's an immoral act considered to be a transgression against the divine law of God. 
So it's not that just what someone has done, David in this case, is wrong because the society thinks about it. What David is realising is this thing is very deeply wrong because God says it's wrong. This is the after moment. Before, anything was okay. After, no, no, it all works on God's say-so because right and wrong is understood in the light of God. When he was acting just on his own on the horizontal, he was hurting people and it didn't really seem to matter in his own mind, but now he understands the greatest violence and the greatest problem is vertical. It's between him and God. So I read the verses 1 and 2. Have a glance down at verse 4. So clear here. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And your initial reaction might be, David, what planet are you on? (laughs) What planet are you on? You've just told your general to do something he never should have done. You've ensured that the, uh, the bloke of the woman with whom you slept, he's dead. You're now claiming her as your wife. And David can say this, Lord, it's really just ultimately against you. He's right. He's right. Because it's the God of the universe who determines how life works in his world and it works his way according to his word. And David is just waking up again to this. And even this language is used in just one instance, at least as an example in the New Testament. You might remember that when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son... When the prodigal son is preparing to return home, he's, re- he's rehearsing this language. <clears throat> he says, right, I'm going to say, when, if, if I can get close to my dad again, I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. <laughs> so he understands the dynamic. He understands how sin works. And he himself, at least in the parable, is working on that repentance. Um, David is realizing there's a need for mercy. And it might, be, it might be easy for us, it might be a temptation for us in this moment to think, well, <clears throat> I haven't ordered my general around because I don't have one. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't committed adultery. So the categories don't really apply. Well, I'm glad to inform you, but I'm sorry to burst your bubble in a way if that's, if that's what it is. But sin is something that, that we're all involved with. Um, And let me read you a description I found recently in this little book by David Jensen, um, What is a Christian? And he says this, "Um, Imagine that you have a child, a very special kind of child, at school, top of every class, best at languages, science, maths, best athlete, the lead in the school play, they're even voted school captain in year eight. As a parent, is this a good child? Of course. This is the kind of kid that makes you look good. After school finishes for the day, it gets even better. They don't drop their bag, they hang it up. (laughs) Just like your child, obviously, by the sound of it. They prepare dinner for the family, do their homework, help their siblings, serve dinner, do the washing up, and then tutor some underprivileged kids. (laughs) They go to bed without complaint and have the lights off by 9pm sharp every night. Is this a good child? Yes, amazingly good. But there is one part of their behaviour I haven't mentioned. In all their life, through everything they've done, they've never once spoken to you or acknowledged your existence. You congratulate them on school performance, they are silent. You thank them for cooking dinner, they walk straight past you. You go to give them a kiss goodnight and whisper I love you. In response, they roll over and ignore you. As a parent, is this still a good child? No. Why not? Because as a parent, what you want more than anything else is loving relationship between you and your child. You'd sacrifice everything else to have it. 
God created us and calls us to love him, but we don't. Instead, we rebel against him and we act as though he doesn't exist because like David in the before, so often our default position is to say, no, no, life centers on me and I'll make the decisions. But when David understands how life works, it's much more like this. Um, in the words of a, of a Scottish brother from the past, George Matheson, George Matheson kind of phrased it in this prayer. Oh Lord, as long as I'm apart from you, I'm self-satisfied because I have no standard by which to measure my low stature. But when I come near to you, for the first time I see myself. In your light, I behold my darkness. In your purity, I behold my corruption. It's all on God's terms. It's so well put, I think, in that prayer. And um, just a couple of points of reflection before I go on to my second point. Um, I think it's important that for us to understand that God sees everything. Okay, that's what David has understood. Even what Nathan the prophet says, what you did in secret, I'm going to do out in the, in the light. Okay? So, but God saw it. God saw it. So there are a couple of, a couple of sides to that coin. Um, for you and me, there is nothing that we can do that God is not conscious of. There's nothing that we can do that God doesn't see. And I don't know about you, but that scares the living daylights out of me. Um, but I've experienced this myself, and I'm going to talk more about it um, you know, just in a, in a little while. Um, so the bad news is there's nothing that you can get away with. Um, but you know where, where the things are in your life that, that it, there's unrighteousness at work. You know the things that you do that displease God. Maybe it's just speaking harshly continually to your spouse or to a family member. Um, it could be just, just a, gen, a, a subtle dishonesty in, in some parts. It could be a deep sexual immorality. I don't know. You know, but guess what? God knows. He sees. And so that just needs to put us all on notice. And if, if that's kind of giving you a little bit of a tremor, then okay, good, 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 good. But we're going to talk about the fact that God is merciful, okay? Um, and, and he's glad to uncover these things because what he wants is for people to come back into the light. So that, that's, the, that's, that's one side of that coin. The second side of the coin is this. If you're the victim of unrighteousness, if you're the victim of abuse, um, even though it might be cold comfort to you in the moment of today, God actually sees and he judges. He will call to account the, the, your abuser. He will call to account the, the perpetrator of what you are suffering. And like I said, that might be cold comfort because maybe it's ongoing. Um, but God sees sin and he will judge it. Um, but for me personally, what, what has this meant? <clears throat> that God is very real about how, we, how I behave, what I do, whether that pleases him. And um, this conviction has fallen on me um, more than once in moments of deep turning away from the Lord and really choosing to do my own thing. Um, and, but it's been very helpful that God has called a spade a spade. <laughs> And um, I know that I am someone who is in need of this mercy. And I love this psalm because it actually tells me that and it resonates so deeply with who I am and some of the things that I have done that I hope I never repeat. And David knows this too, that God is the God of mercy. Okay? So, and that's, that's what we see in verses 7 to 12. This is my next point. Verses 7 to 12. And it's here that we see um, what God is like in two ways, that he's the God of judgment on one hand and he's the God of mercy on the other. 
And we see what happens when a person responds rightly to God's judgment because God wants to show that person mercy. But first of all, what I, what I wanted to kind of just pull out was what God's righteousness actually provokes in a person who's, who's open to it and is convicted of their sin. And I'm just going to go back over the language that David uses to describe what he's feeling in the deep conviction. So when, when, God, when David is coming out into this light and, he, and he's seeing himself and what he's done on God's terms, he's, he's saying, I am unclean. He says, I am dirty. Um, I have, I, he describes silent mourning, grieving bones that are crushed, sin that is seen by God. And this is just absolutely, that whole thought is just vile to him as he describes it. Iniquity has been written out now. The charge is very, very clear. It's something that needs to be blotted out, but it's there for all to see. He speaks about an impure heart, a changeable spirit. So like just even within himself, he's realized, yeah, I don't have that steadfastness. My own spirit is just so changeable. I'm moving around all the time. He speaks of the, the possible impact of being cast out of God's presence, the Holy Spirit being taken away, the joy of salvation lost. And it's just awful. So this is, this is what happens when, when you come out into that light and the Spirit is working, convicting you of, of God and, and the, the reality of what you have done, which is not lined up with God. So it's not just David feeling bad. It's not just that he's in a depressive moment. He's actually understanding the reality of sin, that a right response to God is something that he hasn't been doing. And it's not just that God wants people to feel bad. It's that this is how the chain of God convicting people of their sin to bring them to a right response works. So, and I'll come back to this in just a moment, if you do feel this way at times because of some of the things that you've done, that's right. But to stay there, no. And I'm going to address that in just a moment. But David understands, and it's one of the beauties of this psalm, David understands the God of mercy that he is relying on. And he, he talks about him in this language. He's saying that God is the God who can and will cleanse. The God of the Bible is the one who can wash away the dirt. The God of the Bible is the one who can restore joy and he wants to do that, who can heal and he wants to do that, who can and will put sin away, who can cancel iniquity, who can create a new heart, who can renew a spirit that has been crushed and is changeable, who can restore relationship, who can and wants to give his Holy Spirit, who can restore the joy of salvation. And that is why David turns to this God. He is saying God alone can do it, God alone must do it, and God alone will do it if we would let him. Not based on what humans do, but because of God's mercy. So David knows this God. He knows the discipline of this God. And he knows that the discipline of God is good, actually, for bringing people to repentance and accepting that mercy. I mentioned it before, but I don't, it, it surprised me. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David repents and Nathan says, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Wow. There's God's mercy because God wants people to be forgiven. So that takes us, doesn't it, for us? And because and, we always need to keep working out, well, how does this apply for us? We're not David and we're not Jewish, okay? 
David existed pre-Christ, we exist on the other side of Christ. Now the Lord Jesus has actually died for sins and that's been made plain to the world. He's alive so he can actually give life to those who trust in him and for those who do put their faith in him, there is forgiveness of sins. And in the language of Hebrews 12, we're being encouraged, don't despise the Lord's discipline because he disciplines those he loves. And as he disciplines those he loves, he's bringing them back into his mercy. And that's what David's understanding, but that's what we also need to understand. That's what we all need to understand. And the Lord Jesus Christ was clear on this, wasn't it? He's saying, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Why? Because the king of the kingdom is opening the gates so that people can come in. <laughs> That's his business, the business of mercy and the business of grace. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I, I love the Anglican liturgy for that. You just get thumped with it time and time again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. <laughs> so good. Mercy. Mercy. The God of mercy. So here's a bit of a check moment by way of application. When you find yourself in moments of despair because of what you've done, the sin that you've committed that you know is not right, it does not align with God, where do you turn? Because that will tell you about the God that you know or you don't know. And here's what I mean. When you find yourself in that, in that moment of deep sin and you, keep, and, and, and you keep experiencing uncleanness, that feeling of, of dirt, the silent mourning, the grieving bones, the sin that you feel is kind of written out there, it needs to be blotted out, but it, it hasn't yet, you're not turning to the God of the Bible. You are not turning to the God of grace. You're not turning to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So David acknowledges all these things which are right as the conviction falls on him, but he does not stop there because he knows that the God of grace, when people are turning in repentance to him, wants to forgive and carry on with new life. So your own reaction will just help you interrogate the God that you know. And so what is your God like? But what I want to encourage you to think about is that God is the God of mercy who forgives sinners who repent. So... Um, I'm not going to tell you some of the things I've got in my mind when I think about uh, the, the moments of, of very great darkness when I, I have deeply consciously turned away from the Lord and done what did not please him. But I, I, let me just recount um, the feeling in, in one or two of those moments of great darkness because um, I knew that what I had done was wrong. And it was oppressive just in, the, in that moment, in those initial moments. But then as the Spirit was reminding me of, of, the, of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was like there was a small pinprick of light in the darkness that as I kept gazing at that, it became bigger and bigger and larger and larger and just blew the darkness away as I remembered that he is faithful and just. If I confess my sins and I trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus, he will forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But that's his way. That is his way. And in, in those moments, I, I did repent. I, I confessed my sin and I claimed the forgiveness of God through the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what David's doing here because he knows God is a God of mercy 
who desires a heart change, not just sacrifice on the outside that looks good, but that does not mean that, that does not correspond to a repentant heart. So perhaps today you find yourself in that situation where you can say, well, I do feel like I'm always just stuck in that kind of first thing. It's right to feel the weight of sin, and sin is awful, but the power of God is greater in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive. So if you're wrestling with that, can you talk to someone about that today? Because it's just Satan's, Satan's joy in torturing you to keep you there. And quite frankly, there's no good reason for you to stay there because Jesus has done it. So please do talk with someone about it today. Pray about it today. Read the scriptures and take God at his word. That would be a really good thing to do. Um, and I guess I'm here to testify to you that that's what I've done, which is why I can tell you what I'm about to tell you in, in the future of praise, the future of mercy. Because <clears throat> the future of mercy is actually telling out God's goodness. And that's exactly what David identifies. Um, because it's kind of wrong to say this, I think, but I'll say it anyway. It excites me even more um, what the future of mercy is, that it would involve us in praise. Um, because David, in verse 13, he says, then. So he's, he sees this future time coming, and he's, he sees this thing that's coming that is going to be the fruit of God's mercy it's, it's going to be his praise and telling out how good God is. And so I've kind of thought about it in these terms. I love receiving God's mercy. Love it, love it, love it. Drink it down. Like a sponge, I'll soak it up. But God does not want us to stay as a, a sponge that's kind of getting fuller and fuller and never squeezed out. And so the picture that David gives here and the picture for our Christian lives actually is of sponges that are constantly being squeezed. They're being filled up and they're being squeezed out. And one of the specific ways is that we would be part of praising. So do you want to read with me from verse 13, Psalm 51? Actually, let's read from verse 12 that will just put us back in the frame. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And then he talks about uh, the physical place of Jerusalem being rebuilt basically on the basis of the hearts that are right and are doing the external things that God wants, but praise him because of the hearts that are humbly trusting in him. And so David basically is saying this, I will tell my wretched story because it makes God look exceedingly great. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, what it's like as a songwriter um, to want to put down all your dirty, put, hang out all your dirty laundry in a song that's going to be recorded and played over and over and over and over again for centuries. But I can imagine the joy that there is in being a contributor to telling out God's goodness so other people might actually understand that God is the God of grace and receive that grace and actually join the song. Because that is my personal experience, actually. 
I understand that the Lord is God, that sin is serious. He shows mercy to the repentant, but not because of what I've done, but by knowing him and what he's done in Christ. And so I can join with David saying, come and get it. Come and get him. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Be transformed by his grace. And in this turned back life, live as an advertising for his mercy with a humble, trusting, obedient heart that says, no, 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 Jesus is Lord, it's not me. I think Paul expressed this so well to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 to 17, he says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save the perfect, no, the obedient, no, the lovely, no, to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul's basically saying, I am a walking advertisement for the grace of God. I am a billboard to say God gives good things to those who don't deserve it. <laughs> and he's really glad. And I think that's what David is on about in Psalm 51. So just a couple of reflections as I conclude and think about um, how to apply some of this stuff. One of the things I really enjoyed experiencing in Nuka in the Northern Territory recently with the Mission Exposure Trip team was fellowship. And I described it a little last week, but fellowship is like an evening meeting after dark in a kind of grassy central area in the community. There are massive speakers like these kind of set up. There's contemporary Christian music blaring out of them. And we were warned, like if you're at fellowship time, make sure you sit behind the speakers and not in front of the speakers. I think that was, that was right. Um, but what they're doing in that really public kind of external way is trying to make sure that the whole community hears the good news of God's grace. And I think it's an excellent example of actually what it means to be praising in a turned out kind of a way. And um, I think they've got the advantage, of course, of being very, very warm, so they can sit outside pretty well uh, most, of the, most of the year. But sometimes I think we do ourselves a bit of a disservice having such a great building, but we're all inside it. Um, people would see the cars, but they don't see us, and they would mostly never hear the singing. Um, but I thought the Nooka Fellowship was an excellent kind of example of what it means to <clears throat> be practising telling out this praise. For me, literally, it has meant trying to write songs that advertise God's goodness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in various iterations, um, there have been about kind of four four and a half albums of music that I've written and kind of recorded and try to put out there. But that's something that I've been able to do. Um, I don't know what it would look like for you. But um, here again is an interrogation question. <clears throat> um, because we, these days we've just got so many opportunities to advertise God's grace. So when you think of your Facebook page, if you think of Instagram, if you've got it, if you think, if you think of TikTok, etc., etc., um, if you were to go back there just over the last week of things that you've put up, um, what are you advertising? Um, what does it show that you love? Um, and does it actually advertise God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> 
And so if it does, great. If it doesn't, why not? Okay? But you know you. And guess what? God sees it. Okay? God sees whether you've got an axe to grind out there or you've got this kind of thing that's a good doctrine and maybe you just kind of push it out further and further and further. So now what you preach is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you've got something else going on there. But this is on you. It's on me. It's on us. But at least you would expect, wouldn't you, if any one of us had been really convicted of our sin but glad of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, one in ten posts might be about that. Why not? Maybe that's a discipline you could give yourself. But just go home today and just flick through your Facebook page and think, ah, strike. Yeah, those are all good things, aren't they? I was glad to go to that wedding. Glad that our child's been born. Fantastic. (laughs) In the midst of all that, can you also just keep reminding yourself about advertising God's grace? So um, one of the ways I guess I've been forced to reflect on my own daily habits is because, um, like Andrew Vella, who did this a, a year or so ago, I'm going through the formation program for ordination with the Anglican Church here in Canberra. And one of the exercises that we had to do, or that was given to us to do, was to do morning and evening prayer for 30 days. And when I saw that on the, on the piece of paper, I thought, ah, oh, really? And maybe that revealed something in my own heart. <laughs> but what, I, what I've got to testify to is the fact that trying to cultivate the spiritual discipline of using the prayer book, but also being more consistently in the scripture. It's just been fantastic because it actually reminds me of God's great grace that he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve and it actually kind of changes my mind and my heart to bring that in line with what God loves. And it's been an, it's been an ex- excellent blessing. Um, but I, I put that out to you because so often what happens is we're just lazy and we just don't have a spiritual discipline. And so it's very, very easy to forget the things of God because we're never reminded of them, except when we might turn up at church. Um, but what I want to say is, instead of kind of having a big stick and saying, you've got to do more, now what I want to say is, I'm testifying, God's grace is so much better and time with him is so good. And um, as I'm kind of changed by his word, I just am blessed more and more, and so hopefully I can be a blessing to other people as well. It glorifies him, but it's also going to advertise Christ to the world. So can I encourage you to go a bit deeper in that regard? Sometimes churches like ours are guilty of the fact that we think we, we suggest maturity is knowing more. But I think the longer I go in the Christian life, I think maturity is, is doing the basics better. So do I go back to Jesus when I've sinned? Is his praise actually on my lips? And so can I encourage you maybe just this week, um, is there a Christian song or two that you could be picking up and singing each day? Lord, I lift your name on high. There you go. There's one. Uh, but you might, have a, you might have another favorite. Can you be listening to that and actually singing it out? I do remember the story of um, friends of ours who, when one of their kids was still small enough to be in the shopping trolley in a supermarket, they were pushing the the trolley through, and uh, the child at one point started singing something like, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. And the the, the initial reaction of the parent was... And then they caught themselves thinking, what am I I trying to stop my kid singing that for? But it was a good interrogation moment because the, the, the reaction was, no, 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 we've got to keep that, we've got to keep the lid on that. But no, what David is actually saying and what God's actually saying to us is, no, it's absolutely the opposite, right? 
this is, this is the, the best news in the universe, and we just need to not only understand that, but actually grow ourselves up in telling it out and being glad about it. Um, and I don't think it's as hard as, as we might like to think it is. So, so this week, as you're at the supermarket, can you be humming your favourite tune, you know, that actually reminds you about God's goodness in the Lord Jesus Christ and might, might lead to somebody else hearing it so that that might lead to a conversation about why it's so good. This is, I think, by a long shot, my favourite psalm, Psalm 51 because it just resonates so deeply with what I've experienced and the mercy that God has shown me and the joy that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm very glad to be able to tell out to you. And like I said before, I, I feel as though um, what David had in his mind as he said those words has actually come true in my life. Praise God. And that would be true for all of us, right? Right. Um, as, I, as I know it is, you've received his grace. Um, can you just pray that God might kind of weld it up in your hearts more so that out of your lips um, people might hear mercy, not sacrifice. And God will be praised in that. And that might be a blessing to them as well. Please pray with me about these things now. <clears throat> Father, we are so glad that you are the God of mercy and not sacrifice. You love it when sinners come back to you because you want to give us what we don't deserve. You've made us for a relationship with you. You've saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ to have that relationship and you've restored us. I do pray for each of us this week, Lord, that um, for those of us who are feeling stuck in our sin, that we would understand the power of your grace in the Lord Jesus, that he is greater and that he has done it. And Lord, if that's not our challenge, that you would just help us to grow in some disciplines this week so that we can remember your grace, love you even more for it, and let the fruit of that praise be on our lips so that you be praised and other people might hear it too. In Jesus' name, amen.